So we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, and that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. So uh, I'm going to just read Exodus 20, the first two verses, and then verse 14, because we're on the Seventh Commandment, and that's what we're looking at this morning. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the lands of slavery. And then verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. Let's pray that God will really help us, really speak to us, um, and show us Jesus in this sermon. Father in heaven, thank you for the words we just sung, that it is so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word. Lord, I pray that we'd, we'd know that this morning, Lord, that uh, words that often can seem harsh, can seem difficult, words that reveal things we don't want to be revealed inside us, Lord, the light that seems to be scary because it reveals who we are, Lord, I pray that we would see all of that as sweet and as good. I pray that you speak to every person here, Lord. Pray for those who never been to church before, who don't know you, Jesus, that you would speak to them. I pray for us, Lord, who know you, that we would listen to you now. We would be humble and we would receive the word that you're going to say. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Cool, it's really good to see you all this morning. Uh, so the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you've not been here, you might think, oh no, it's the Ten Commandments, right? But this is an amazing story uh, in Exodus, and it's really our story as, as, a, as Christians, as the church. It is that we were slaves, and we were slaves to our sin. There was a harsh master over us. It was our sinful nature, our flesh. It was Satan whose words we take on as our own. We just believe him. And Jesus was sent by the Father to rescue us. We were lost. He rescues us. And the, the living God says to us, his church, I am the Lord your God. And I want you to now live with me and to live a completely awesome new life. And really what the Ten Commandments is, is it's the good life. It's the life that God wants from his people. It's a life where he marries his people. He covenants with them and says, I am yours and you are mine. We get Jesus. And Jesus is an amazing, incredible man. He is the best. He is an incredible savior. He's an incredible friend. And he, like, it's like, why would you want us? But still he looks. He looks at each one of you. It says in 1 Timothy that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And he looks at each one of us this morning. He wants you. He wants you in on this relationship. And he wants you to live the good life. And that really is what the Ten Commandments is for us this morning. Um, R.T. Kendall says about the last command, which we had last week, uh, the one you shall not murder. He says that's the command no one wants to admit to. And if you were here last week, I think by the end of it we were all admitting, I am a murderer. Because Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, look, if you get angry in your heart, you've already committed murder. Because it begins here, the root is here. No murder happens without there being anger first as you look at someone. And it's the, with lust, right? So that's the, the command no one wants to admit to. With this one, with adultery, it is, this is the one everyone talks about. This is the thing that you know, you'll see in the magazines, you'll hear in the, in the songs that you hear on the radio, this is what this command, you shall not commit adultery, 
speaks into. And I reckon there's lots of people here, when you hear that command, you shall not commit adultery, you probably think, right, I think I'm okay to switch off this morning because surely this doesn't apply to me. I actually think there's four groups of people that might be tempted to think that. And I just want to encourage you, don't switch off. This really does encompass us all. Martin Luther uh, says this. I think this is a really good thing, really helpful thing. Does this command apply only to husbands and wives? And uh, he says, no. The principle of sexual purity in this commandment applies to all human beings, whether married or not, and to all kinds of sexual desire and activity. So look, if you're single this morning, say you're not married, look, don't switch off. The principle of sexual purity is really what we're talking about here. It is pure thoughts. A word that we don't really use anymore, but the old people, the old guys would use it, it's chastity. There is something positive here for you to pursue. You've got to remember this with the Ten Commandments. When God says don't do something, he leaves open an awesome free life. He doesn't want you to do the thing that will trap you. He wants you to be free. It's like he's saying, look, I've set you free from the slave master. Now I want you to actually be free and live the free life. But if, if you're single, this encompasses you. Don't switch off. Do listen to this. It's so important. And if you're a child... Um, I was just picturing with the Ten Commandments, you've got to remember, children, there would have been children just like you at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they hear God saying these words. You know, children were there. And it, God didn't say, for this next one, is it cool if the children just leave, go to a separate place, and then I'll say this command. No, he wants the kids to hear this. It's really important. And I think it's a bit like this, children. You know, when you have a test in school, the test really is, look, were you listening six weeks ago? Were you listening two months ago, three months ago? Because there's a day of testing that comes. And children, this might sound, some of this sermon, a bit foreign to you. But as it, um, as it says in Proverbs 5, there's a father talking to a son. And he's like, my son, listen to this, right? Take this on. This is really important. Store this up because... There is adultery out there, and there's adultery in here, in your heart, and you've got to be warned about this. Don't be naive about this. So children, like, listen, because you've got to store this stuff up, because a day of testing will come. A day of temptation will come. Um, so it's really important that you listen. I think if you're racked with sexual guilt, you're going to want to switch off, and you mustn't do so. Maybe you've committed adultery in full, right? Maybe you're a married man, married woman, and you've gone the whole hog. You, you've slept with someone who's not your husband or not your wife. Or maybe you haven't gone that far, but there is guilt in regard to this command. When you think about, are my sexual desires, are they all good? That, and you, you know inside, oh, I know this stuff I do. I give vent to lust and to wrong sexual desires all the time. And you might think, I don't want to hear this stuff. But no, because Jesus is good news. The gospel is good news, and there is comfort for you, even in this command. There really is. So do listen. And I think the fourth person, this is the most dangerous position to be in. It's the person who'd say, I can never commit adultery. Oh, it, you know, if you think that, if, you, if you're naive, if you think I could never do this, don't be a fool. You need to listen to these words. You need to store these truths up. Um, it's incredible. In Proverbs 7, two chapters after what Lee read, um, it talks about this adulterous woman 
who speaks about the fellowship offering she's given. It's like she is a member of the church life. You might think, surely adultery can never happen in church, but the Bible's like, oh no, it definitely can. And we need to be really on our guards for this stuff. And I really hope Jesus switches the lights on in our hearts and minds to this. You know, the light that gets shone when we think about these things, it's, it can feel uncomfortable, but it's so much better to come into the light. And just for Jesus to reveal to you who you actually are, because he knows exactly who you are. And still the Father sent Jesus. Still Jesus went to the cross for you. So if you are racked with guilt or anything, do keep listening. And also, I think this is really important, isn't it? If you're a Christian, you've got to know this. The Bible's really clear. You're already in a marriage, whether you like it or not. It's cool. And that's another one for the singles. You're already in a marriage. That's why I read those first two verses from the Ten Commandments. God says, I am yours. And Romans 8 says this, doesn't it? It says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we are just tied forever to Jesus. And it is like a marriage. That's what we're in. Jesus in the Bible is called the bridegroom. This champion who who comes and he's the perfect guy, the perfect husband. And that's who he is for the church. Anyway, so what is adultery? God says you shall not commit adultery. What is it? And I think there's different, uh, different levels of this, but I've sort of tried to, tr- tried to be like quite clear. Um, adultery fully grown is the tearing apart of the oneness that God has brought in marriage through sexual intercourse with someone who's not your spouse. So that's definitely one thing we've got to hold right there, okay? It is adultery fully grown is the tearing apart of the oneness God has brought about in marriage through sexual intercourse with someone who's not your spouse. But Jesus aims this commandment. Do you see what Jesus said in that reading I did from the Sermon on the Mount? He aims this commandment straight at our hearts because that is where fully grown adultery, that thing that I just mentioned, being in bed with someone who's not your wife, where does it begin? Jesus says it begins inside you. It begins with you. It's wrong thoughts inside you. It's those little wrong thoughts towards someone, sexual thoughts towards someone, who isn't your wife, isn't your husband, that are twisted, that are skewed. And that, left to grow, leads to the full-on adultery. He says it's not only about married couples as well in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you've heard it said, uh, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at someone lustfully. Do you know? So he just says, oh no, it's not just about marriage there. It really is about, it encompasses every single person. Where did the man who's in bed with a woman who's not his wife, where did that begin? It began with lust. It began inside him. Lust will take you to that point. Adultery is the whole thing. You know, um, yeah. So, And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus says these words, you shall not commit adultery, in order to leave open the free, amazing life. And the life that Jesus wants to leave open, he wants his church to have pure sexual thoughts. He wants you not to be messed up on the inside, but to look at people properly. He wants, God the Father wants you to look at people as Jesus looked at people. It's a bit like, Lee was saying last week with murder, that murder can begin when you stop looking at someone and seeing that they're made in God's image. 
And instead, you, you twist that image and you use them for your own pleasure and your own gain. They become a piece of meat. That, that is where this begins. So God says, don't do that. He wants us to pursue purity. He is the Lord, our God, who's rescued us from being slaves to sin. He gives his whole being to you and to me. And he wants you to be free um, from all this rubbish. Now, it is such a good idea, this command. I think, I was just thinking about, like, why is this command such good news, right? Because it can just sound harsh, but there's so many reasons. And I think the Though the implications of this command are broader than just marriage, and they encompass all of us, what this command implies is that marriage is a wonderful thing. The Christians should look at marriage and just think, marriage is great. It was really good. Last week, I got to announce that Sam and Jane were getting married. And everyone, everyone went mental. Everyone went crazy. Because it's such good news, and that's good. Our reaction should be like that. Marriage is really good. And it's cool, isn't it, that I remember on a DVD we watched to help us with Genesis RBT, Billy Graham's daughter and Graham Lotz said, the first person to have a sexual thought was our God. That's cool. If you're not a Christian, look, sex is a really good thing. And it begun, we believe it totally begun with our God. The Bible says he's the one who gives it. Marriage is his idea. Relationships are his idea because he is the God of relationship. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are three, and yet they are one. And with our marriages, God wants to make two people one. Marriage is his idea. It's a really good idea for the children. Children, God says to your mum and your dad, you shall not commit adultery. That is such good news for you, right? That what God wants to do is build a wall around your mum and dad to protect them for you guys. It's so important. It's such good news that God wants your mum and dad to stick together. He wants that for you. He's thinking about you when he says it. He wants children to, to have a marriage with their parents. To not have a marriage with their parents. He wants the children to have parents who are married and who stick together and who are united. God says to your parents, you shall not commit adultery. And that's really good. You don't want your mum to go off and leave your family, do you? You don't want your dad to go off and leave your family. No, you want them together. And God wants them together too, for you guys. So it's good for that. Um, but there's more, right? With, with marriage, it's more than what it seems, God says. The Bible's really clear. Marriage is an incredibly mysterious thing. When you go to a wedding, it's not just that some legal thing is going on. No, the Bible's clear. God does something. God is making two people one flesh. That God is involved in a marriage. It's a mystery, Paul says. But Paul says this is what the mystery is pointing to. It's pointing to Jesus Christ and his love for his people, the church. God gives marriage so that it can reflect the deepest reality of all. And that is Jesus Christ and his unity, his love for his people, the church. That every marriage in Gabalva, what's it meant to look like? It's meant to look like Jesus' love for the church and the church's submission and love for Jesus. It's meant to reflect that. And it is a mystery because you're like, how can, how can a married couple do that? But, and I think this is the fourth thing, it is how blessed are we by married couples in this church? 
and maybe this is another one for, for more of the single people to just dwell on, how blessed are you by the families in Gabalva Baptist Church? You know when you go around their house and, and you've got children who love their parents, you've got parents who love one another and love their children, and they're hospitable and they welcome you in. It is such a blessing, isn't it? It is a bit of heaven on earth. This command, you shall not commit adultery, is such a good idea. It's so good that God says this because we get to enjoy that as a church family together. It is like heaven on earth. There's something wonderfully unique about families who love Jesus. Um, And maybe you've experienced that. Because, I don't know, maybe your upbringing has been you had parents who who didn't love each other. Maybe you've had divorced parents or something. Um, But what Jesus wants is heaven in our homes. And this isn't to make, you know, maybe there's divorced people here. This really isn't to make you feel guilty. I just want you to see, like, why does God say this? It's not just to slam us. It's not to, re- to restrict us. It is to protect something so beautiful and so good. So there we go. And, but here's another thing, I think, you know, you shall not commit adultery, adultery God says to us, um, because he, he desires our thoughts and our hearts to be pure in this regard. He really does. Now, it's a good idea, but Jesus' words in Matthew 5, if you've got a Bible, just turn there, because I'll probably speak a bit about them. When Jesus says this, what he's not saying, when he speaks about lust, and how if we look at someone lustfully, then we've already broken this command. He's not, changing what the command means at all. And it's the same as what Lee said last week about murder. Jesus isn't going, look, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, that actually isn't the case anymore. This is now the case. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's just opening up what this command means. He's showing you, he's illuminating, do you see what this is aiming for? This command is meant to point out the sin in our hearts. That's what he does. Jesus tells us that the true meaning of this command, he he says, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. And he's not getting rid of this command. He's showing, no, this command is like an arrow and it's meant to fire right into your heart. You're meant to feel the weight of this. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that's the same for you women. When you look at a man lustfully, then this command, you've broken it on the inside. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's quite awful words. You know, uh, quite a few commentators on this verse say what Jesus means is, is when you look at someone with lustful intent, so that is the purpose of my looking at them, is that I can fantasize about them sexually. But you know what? I think Jesus goes one step further because he is saying that, of course. Obviously, if you look at someone for the express purpose so that you can look at their flesh and you can fantasize about them in your heads with sexual wrong motives. But I think, no, what he's saying is, do you know that feeling where, uh, say, maybe for the guys, you know, if you're walking past Ann Summers or you're walking past an attractive lady and even if you're like, I know I mustn't look, I still... The fact that there's that battle that goes on inside, Jesus is saying, can't you see lust clings so close to you? Even if with all intentions, you're like, I mustn't look. No, but can't you see it's there? Can't you see there is this battle that you, 
you have to face on the inside. Of course, if you intentionally want to look at someone, that's wrong. But if you just, if there's any lust, if there's any sort of feeling that just springs up in you of, oh wow, I want that person, then the lust is there. Then can't you see you already fall short of this commandment? That's what Jesus is saying. Lust clings so close. I mean, of course you can say, like, objectively, someone is attractive. Of course that's the case. But Jesus wants you to recognize, and it's horrible to admit this, but lust is inside you. You are a sinner, and lust is one of those sins, and it lives within here. Maybe you've had an experience. I mean, you know, I had this in school. It's like a guy will show you. He'll have a video on his phone, and it'll be pornographic. You know, it'll be people having sex and they'll say oh have a look at this and there's a part of you that's like I really don't want to look but then there's this other part of you right which is fascinated in a wrong way with it and and it's that it's that feeling Jesus is saying can't you see this is who you are this is who you are and some of you will give real attention to those thoughts that's the thing some of you won't be so good at saying, oh, no, I mustn't look at that. Some of you will think, well, what's the harm? You know, this is interesting. This is good. This is pleasurable even. Some of you will go to certain websites and give vent to this lust. And that is what people do. Maybe for ladies more, it's, there's, you can have pornographic novels. You can have very uh, sexual content that you read. And it's just words. But the things that it can do to you. The things that it can uh, awaken in you are bad. Jesus wants, you to, to, Jesus wants to protect you from this stuff. It can cause in you um, fantasies and it can grow. And Jesus says, look, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus wants to set you free, but this stuff can master you. He wants you to actually master your sin and say, no, I'm not going to go that way. But these things can take control. Maybe internally you can mentally undress people. But it, as I said before, it's similar to murder. All this stuff is you stop seeing people as made in God's image. You stop seeing them for who they are. You stop seeing them as someone that you can serve and you can look at with compassion and you twist them. They become skin and bone. They can become flesh or meat, not a human being. I do think maybe it's a bit different for men and women. The, the struggle in this sense, but I just want you to acknowledge, yeah, I'm not, uh, I, I can't get away from this. This is something that I do myself. Dale Moody has a really good uh, little phrase. He says, lust is the devil's counterfeit for love. That you might hear on the radio people singing about love, you might hear people talking about love, but it's not what God says love is. It's not. You can really think you love someone, but it's really just desire, just lust. It is just, just physical attraction. It's not really about the person themselves. It can just be about their skin, their bone, the way they make you feel, that sort of thing. Lee read at the beginning some great verses, didn't he? Where it's 1 John Chapter 4, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. 
Now, how different is that to your definition of what love is? This is so important, isn't it? Because God is saying, no, this is what love is. It is sacrifice. It is pain. It is giving something up. It's not about you getting what you want. It's actually about giving away. It's about self-sacrifice. That is what love is. And it's not really about you and what you do. This is real love. It is that God sent Jesus into the world for you. He gave Jesus up. And Jesus gives his life. He gives everything up for you. That's real love. That's what it's really about. Now, often the way we can look at each other and you can desire a relationship is that I want something. I want a boyfriend. I want a girlfriend. I want him to do this for me. I want her to do this for me. This is what I want. That isn't how the Bible talks about love. That is you having this desire. Now, I wonder if you come to church simply because you want a boyfriend or you want a girlfriend. If that's you, I think you've got two choices. Either just go away, because we're here to get Jesus. We're not here to get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or you just repent. Jesus offers you that. You can change. Repent. See that that's wrong. Now, it's not that it's bad to desire a relationship. But do you see how this can be something that just becomes our idol? That we bow down to the idea of a relationship. But yeah, lust is the Satan's counterfeit for love. You've got to be really careful. The way you hear people talking about love isn't the way God talks about it. None of us are safe from adultery. I think another thing is, uh, and this is important, is the way that you dress is important with this. You know, do you dress? It's cool to look attractive, you know, and to be like, thank you, God, for my body that you've given me, and I don't want to not take care of it. I want to take care of it. That's great. But then there's a difference between wanting to look attractive or seductive. And you've got to be careful with this. Why do I wear what I wear? How, why do I present myself in the way that I present myself? Am I trying to cause someone to look at me sexually or not? It's, it's really worth something to think about. And, you know, we can dress in, in twisted ways because we've got desires. We want affirmation, even in this regard, sexual sort of affirmation. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I want women to dress modestly with decency, uh, adorn, not adorning themselves uh, with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Um, and it's just because, look, you know, don't draw attention to yourself in that way. It's cool to look attractive, but are you dressing just to look seductive? And it, it, is, worth, it is worth thinking about that. Lust is... Lust and adultery, they are of the same family. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. Look, they're of the same family. The consequences, though, are different. It's not that they're exactly the same. Don't think they're exactly Jesus saying, oh, it's the same. If you look at someone lustfully to if you are a married man, but you sleep with someone who's not your wife, you have sex with someone who's not your wife. It's not saying they're exactly the same, no, but they're of the same family. It's like lust is the fetus, but the fully grown monster is the thing you do in bed with that woman. And, and one leads to the other. And you've got to make sure you get rid of the fetus version first before it grows into the monster. Because it will. If you let it go, it's going to grow. It's like thorns. It's going to take over. It's going to trap you. That's what the Bible is saying. They're different in weight, but they're the same in substance. That's what Jesus is saying. Lust and adultery, different in weight, but the same sort of thing. 
And if you're a Christian here this morning, it's good just to confess. Look, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. It's not nice to, to admit to... I think maybe more than any other, maybe this is one where there's so much shame attached to it. But Jesus says, no, it's okay. Come into the light so that you can be seen. And it's safe to come and just say, yeah, even this seventh command, I needed Jesus to come. I needed him to fulfill this one for me. That's okay. That is why God sent Jesus into the world, even for this one, even for you. It's so, so good. I think before I get to like what Jesus has done for us, I've talked a lot about marriage with how we fail. But I mentioned before that if you're a Christian, you are in a marriage already. The Bible talks a lot, especially in the Old Testament, about uh, the church's sin being like adultery. Um, there's quite an incredible verse from Ezekiel 16. There's a whole passage, all of Ezekiel 16. It is the story of the church in the Old Testament. It is how, they, uh, how Jesus found them by the tree, and he cared for them, and he tended them, and he looked after them, and they grew up, and he fed them, and he helped them. Um, but then he says this. This is what happened. The church in the Old Testament totally disowned Jesus. They went their own way. They went on in sin. And Jesus says this to his church. You adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. It's a really shocking chapter of the Bible, Ezekiel 16. It's very graphic. But this is the thing. When we look for what we should find in Jesus somewhere else, so... You know, when we, Jesus has amazing words to say to us. He says, you are worth more than the world. He says, you are the apple of my eye. He says, you're a lily among thorns. You are my treasured possession. You are worth dying for, and so I died for you. And, and all the love, lovely words you want him to say, he, he says to you, look, guys and girls, you know, don't, you don't have to look for self-esteem in another person. You've got it in Jesus if you're a Christian the words that he says to you. But then when you want to go elsewhere to find that sort of stuff, it is like adultery. Jesus calls it that. The Bible says, you're, you're an adulterous wife when you chuck me aside and you try and find what you can get in me elsewhere. You know the video we watch, of, it's called God is Better, about the broken cisterns? Like you had this cistern of living water, but you've gone away to a broken cistern. It doesn't even hold water, and you're trying to satisfy yourself there. And we're so quick to do this. Have you at one point loved Jesus so much, and you're like, I'm a Christian, and I'm, I'm loving it. But then as time goes on, your love for Jesus dwindles, and you walk away, you turn away from him. And what your head is filled with now is other things. I want to chase this down. Maybe for you it's like work. Who I am is someone who has this job or I'm this student and this is what my life's about. And all that I'm looking for in life is found there. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Am I not enough? I'm your husband. I'm yours. Nothing can separate you from me. Why are you going away? Why are you looking for life somewhere else? Why are you looking for love somewhere else? As I said before, obviously, marriage is good. But even the married couples, who are you meant to put on first of your list where you, you get your self-esteem, you get your love, you get truth from? It's not your husband or your wife. You've got to look to Jesus first. And if you're single, it's, it's to him as well. That's who you look. So 
Jesus calls our sin and our idolatry, adultery. That's what it, it is as well. Okay. Um, so the point I'm trying to make is we fail on this seventh command. But God knows that. And God sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. And that is what he has done. Don't justify yourself. The easy thing to do when you hear this stuff is, oh, you know, it was because they were dressed like that. It's because of these circumstances. It's because my husband doesn't love me, my wife doesn't love me, that I go off this way and do something else. No, you mustn't do that. God has given Jesus to justify you. Don't justify yourself. Don't say, this is why I did it. Don't make excuses. Let Jesus excuse you. Let him pardon you. That is what God wants to do. The good news of the Bible is you don't have to make excuses up. God has got one who can excuse you from all sin. You don't have to justify yourself. God has got one who can justify you from all sin. You don't need to try and make excuses. You don't need to do any of that. It's really good. You just look to Jesus. You just fix your eyes on him who was sent for you. An amazing verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11 talks about this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of God of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see what Paul is saying though as he writes to the church at Corinth, and it is a messed up church, especially in this regard about sexual sin. He says, this is what you were. You were people who were just owned by your adulterous behavior, by your lusts. But God sent Jesus. You believed on him, and he has washed you of all sin. He has justified you already. And that should always be your justification. That should be where you go to be like, this is where I find forgiveness. It's always in Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is, he comes, and he is the perfect man, the perfect bridegroom, the perfect husband for his church. That is who he is. When you see Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read about his life here as he took on flesh, became like us, you see the lover of your soul. You see the man who loves you perfectly. He is, as Paul says, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is who Jesus is. He comes for you. He comes to fulfill in his body the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. He never looks at anyone and he looks at them wrong. He never looks at anyone lustfully. Why has he done that? Why is he doing that on earth? He's doing it for you. He's doing it because you need a perfect life and you've messed up. He is the perfect life. He comes and fulfills that command. It says he's tempted in every way just as we are. So when you're, when you're tempted to sin sexually, this is the crazy thing. The Son of God was tempted to sin sexually, yet he was without sin, and it was all for you. He was tempted to break this covenant of love between him and the church. He was weak. He was in the desert. He was without food, without water, and the, Satan tempts him, and he doesn't break it. You might think you're not worth it, but Jesus fulfills this command for you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, 
when he knows what's coming, he's going to be hung on a cross. It's going to be painful. He's going to be torn away from his father, yet he doesn't want to be torn away from his church. He does that for you. And on the cross, he becomes you. He becomes the adulterer. He becomes all the sexual sins that you've ever done. He takes it on himself. He completely understands what you've been through. And he paid for your sin on the cross. And he gets you completely. And on the third day, Jesus rose again for you. And he's alive. And he can give you life. And your sin has been dealt with. Jesus cried out on the cross. On the cross. It is finished. It is dealt with. The war can stop. You can stop trying to make excuses. Jesus has dealt with it. Luther says this is the antidote to this stuff, to sexual sin. And I love it because it's just positive. It's not, look, stop doing this. But it's this. We should fear and love God so that we will lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do. What you need this morning, if you, if you feel guilty, if you feel wrong, is you need to fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Look at him. Look to him. Don't look in to see what can I do, how can I change. No, you need to look at him. He knew you couldn't change enough. And he came anyway and he dealt with your sin. And you've got to look to him for all the help you need today and tomorrow when temptation comes. He will give you the Holy Spirit so that this law might be fulfilled in you. And you've got to not live by your flesh. You've got to live by the Spirit from now on. And it's amazing the stuff the Bible says. What Lee read from Proverbs 5. It is, look, this is what you've got to do. And he's talking to a child and he's, he's, or he's talking to a, a young man and he's like, if you, you've got to love your wife, husband, 